I love to bowl. Like, love to bowl. I don't, anybody else love to bowl? I love to bowl. And there was a time in my life where I was actually really pretty good. Mom and wife will both attest. Uh, had my own ball and everything, and uh, it broke. So now I'm not as good because, it, believe it or not, the ball makes all the difference. But love to bowl. Absolutely love to bowl. And Jerrica and I, we got to go on a date last Saturday, which, like, never happens, ever. She kind of planned the surprise, and it was awesome. It was cool. We both decided that we should probably do it again. Uh, and, and we went to like a number of places, and those things didn't work out. And we're like, let's bowl. We like to bowl. So we went bowling, Enterprise, and we were having a good time. And, and uh, right next to us in the lane, I don't know if she noticed, but I noticed there was a young family. They had two little kids, and they were bowling with bumpers. Now, they tell you not to assume that people know what things are, so I'm explaining something you probably all know what it is. But the bumpers, right, they go up beside the lane, and they prevent the ball from like automatically going into the gutter when a kid's bowling. The, the main focus of that is to, to guarantee that kids are not absolutely miserable while they go. Unless they don't know they're not supposed to go in the gutter, and sometimes you get celebrations for that. But it, it's so fun. I find it so entertaining to watch a little kid bowl, right? They go up with their ball, and they pull it back, and they throw it as hard as they can, and it goes like two miles an hour, and it bounces, bounces, bounces. It goes back and forth until eventually it gets down to one pin, right? Or it gets down to the pins. And they don't need a lot to get excited. They don't. One pin, and it's like they won the Super Bowl. See what I did there? You guys, Super Bowl? It's okay. Sorry, puns are right up my alley. Um, don't worry, though. I'll stay in my lane. Keep my eye on the ball, and we will roll on. Uh, come on. The whole, the whole reason, the whole reason that we have bumpers, as I said, is to ensure that the ball doesn't veer off course and makes it to our final destination. In life, we, like the ball, have an end destination, an end goal. And the Spirit of God has been given to us like the bumpers to keep us on the right track. As long as we live Spirit-led lives, then we will be successful in our journey. Before we open the Word of God, before we look at what we're going to talk about today, let's pray, shall we? God, I come to you right now. I lift this message up to you. I lift these words up to you. God, I pray that you use me as a vessel that I'm not here on this stage, God, but you are speaking through me. Lord, help this scripture to speak truth to our lives, to convict us in ways that it needs to, to affirm us in ways that it needs to, to help us grow and learn and build us up. God, we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. First thing I want you to know about today, I'm, I'm doing something revolutionary today. Usually I give you three points. Today there's just two. Today, I know, I know, mind blown. Those of you that like routine, don't get mad at me. So the first thing I want us all to understand is that the Spirit gives life and it sets us free. The Spirit gives life and sets us free. We are in Romans chapter 8, 1 through 8. You can follow along in the Bible app if you so choose. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, which we talked about last week, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And He so condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, 
But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. That's all of us, by the way. That's all of us. Alone, we cannot please God. See, this passage starts off with Paul being extremely emphatic. For anyone who has a relationship with Jesus, there is no condemnation. For anyone who has a relationship with Jesus, there is no condemnation. This, in the Greek, is a legal term that is only seen here in the entire New Testament. It's the only time it's used. Only time. It's literally telling us that we are free of our guilt. There's no condemnation. Our sentence is not imposed. What we deserve, we do not receive. And then verse 2, we find ourselves in a new relationship with the Almighty. No longer are we guided by unforgiving cold stone tablets that have been ruined by the evil sin of man, by the flesh of man. We talked about that last week, how it can be twisted, not seen as a tool for good, but as a tool to condemn. But now, now we're governed by the living, breathing Spirit of God. Think about that. Daily, you walk with God. Daily, as a Christian, you walk with God. Jesus gave us the gift of the Spirit. And we have that with us at all times. At all times. In the mountain, in the valley, the Spirit is there. God is with us. And He gave that to us to lead us and guide us and direct us on the path that we must go. Verse 3, the law alone wasn't able to bring us into relationship with God. See, the law alone cannot make us right. The law alone cannot make us right. Listen, there's no evil in works. There's no evil in doing works. I guess unless you do those works for recognition rather than for God. But you can do good things. Okay, you can do good things. You can do works and not know Jesus. That's a possibility. You can stay within the commandments and have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. But you cannot know Jesus and not have works. You cannot know Jesus and not have works. See, a spirit-led life says that Jesus is going to guide us and he's going to direct us and he's going to push us to move and he's going to push us to reach out and he's going to push us to help others. The law alone cannot save us, but the Spirit of God will and the Spirit of God will lead you to do good in the lives of others. And we must listen to that Spirit. James 2.14 makes it really clear that true faith is accompanied, that true faith in God is accompanied by works. I didn't put that on the screen. That's my fault. See, but here's the thing. Jesus, being better than the law, says that I have something for you. Here's my Spirit before I go. The Spirit of the living God, and it will bring you life. And then verse 5 and 6 makes real clear. There's two ways for us to live. We can live being guided by what we want, by our flesh, by what we think is good, by what we think is desirable, by what brings us joy. Or we can live according to God's Spirit. And we can live in ways that brings God joy. And we can live in ways that, that fills us with, with peace that we have never known. We can live within the bumpers and have a pretty good shot at making it to our final destination. We can live in the gutter. Maybe we have more fun. Maybe we think it's more enjoyable. But in the end, in the end, 
our destination is different. And that's what makes all the difference. What destination do you desire? Do you desire Jesus? Do you desire heaven? Do you desire to hit the pins? Or are you okay living in the gutter? Living in the flesh? Living the way that you want? We can live in the Spirit and we can find peace and we can find life. Or we can live in the gutter and only find death in the end. Romans 8, 9-11 You, however, are not in the realm of flesh but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives within you and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even your body is subject to death because of sin. The Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives within you. If the Spirit of Christ is in you, then Christ is in you. And with Christ we live forever. How do you know that the Spirit lives within you? I'm asked that question a lot, believe it or not. A lot of people, Christians, non-Christians, want to know. You guys talk about the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Spirit. How do I know if I have the Spirit? How do I know if I have the Spirit? My first question is, do you have a conscience? Do you have a conscience? You know that still small voice that tells you, I shouldn't eat that because my body's a temple and I'm supposed to take care of this, so I'm not going to go back for my fourth piece of pie. Thanksgiving is coming up. My mom makes this amazing dessert called four-layer dessert. It has another name, but it's not appropriate for church. (laughs) And I'm telling you that it is the most delicious thing that you have ever eaten in your entire life. And if the rest of my family let me, they'd kill me if I did this, I would take that, hide in the corner, and just eat that for Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) But I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to be gluttonous, and the Spirit tells me to choose otherwise. Do you have that still small voice that says, I should lend that guy a hand and give him the dollar that he's asking for? Or, I really need to forgive my mom for whatever I feel like she's slighted against me. Mom, we have no issues, just so you know. I love you. We're good. But maybe in your life, you have that relationship that's just not where it needs to be. Could be a mom, could be a sibling, could be an old friend. And you hear that voice say, you need to forgive them, you need to get over this, you need to move past this. Or maybe they're telling you that I did something wrong there and I should really apologize for that. Do you hear that voice? Or, hey, that was wrong for me to say. Or, I really need to pray right now. I just feel that. I need to pray. I need to give. I need to act. I need to. What is it that the Spirit is leading you to do? If you feel that direction in your life, then the Spirit is within you. The difference between those who experience the resurrection with Christ and those that don't, is that the ones who experience the resurrection choose to live in the Spirit and listen to that voice. That's point number two. We must choose the Spirit. We must choose the Spirit. Believe it or not, that's a choice. Believe it or not, it's a choice. Whether or not we follow the Spirit's direction or we don't. Romans 8, 12 through 17. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Who? Who? The Spirit, I'm reading it again. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You are children of God. Holy cow. You are children of God. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Think about that for a second. You are co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. See, whether or not you live by the Spirit is your choice. It's your choice. And that choice is influenced greatly by your relationship with God. If we are in a relationship with God, then we have an obligation to walk in the Spirit. Not a you should do this, not a please follow me. You have an obligation to do this. You are signing up to follow the Spirit. Our choice as Christians, our choice as Christians, as people, is whether or not to be Christians, is whether or not to put our faith in Jesus Christ. But as far as following the Spirit, we have no choice. It's an obligation. It's an obligation. Now, can you choose not to? Certainly. I work with students all day long that want to know, Mr. Huff, why do I have to do this? Because you're in school and we do work here and this is what you're required to do. Well, I'm not going to do it. That's your choice. Your grade. I think one day we may, we may meet with God and maybe somebody will say, why did I have to do that? And God will say, because you're part of my classroom. You come to school and when you came to this school, you entered into an agreement that said you would follow the instructions that I gave you. Now, you made a choice not to do it. Here's your grade. Depart from me, for I never knew you. I wonder how many of us actually see that. See, our choice as Christians and non-Christians is whether or not we put our faith in God. But if we put our faith in God, then we must choose to walk in the Spirit. We are obligated to do so. That is not an option. And then verse 14 on is completely and utterly life-changing. If you hear it the way that you are supposed to hear it. See, we can read Scripture, we can read right through it, and it can not make any dent in our lives whatsoever. But Paul is completely flipping the world on its head and telling people, there's a new way for you. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Verse 14. Through the Spirit, you are adopted to sonship. Going to the next. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit of God tells us, ingrains in us that we are sons and we are daughters of Christ. You are a child of God. That should make a huge difference in your life today. Can we rest in that a moment? Like literally rest in that a moment. Think of every worry that you have in your life. You are a child 
of God. Everybody in here at some point was a child or has a child. Maybe both. Think about how your parents reacted when you were stressed out. Think about how they reacted when you had a boo-boo, when you scraped your knee, when you were hurting, when you were in pain. Sadly, some of you maybe didn't have the greatest parents who didn't empathize or sympathize or love you through it, but a lot of you will understand what I'm getting at if you have children or you were a child. That a parent loves you through the hurt and pain and that they are right there next to you when you deal with those things. And that's what God is for us. We are children of God. We are children of God. And if we are children, then we are co-heirs with Christ. Do you ever think in your life that you would be on an equal playing field with Christ? Did you ever think in your life that you would be on an equal playing field with Christ? We are co-heirs with Christ. Not by what we did, not by what we did, but by what He did. By what Christ did. He saw us in our imperfection, the whole entire world and all of our sin and said, I'm going to make these people my equal. And in God's eyes, we are sons, we are daughters, we are co-heirs. If we live spirit-filled lives, if we live like Christ lived, then we are literally equals with Christ. That goes in opposition to everything I've pretty much ever heard in my entire life. And inside, honestly, it makes me a little uncomfortable. How could I ever be equal to Christ? How could any of us ever be seen as equals to Christ? And then I realized that that's what Jesus did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. I mean, can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Imagine being at work. Okay, and let's say that your department had a, had a project, had something that you had to do. And you ended up being the only one that did anything. Right? You ended up being the only one that did anything. And it, instead of going to the boss and saying, I'm the only one that did anything, they didn't do anything. You presented it as, look at what we have done. And you gave them credit that they did not deserve. That's what Christ did for us. That's what Christ did for us. That doesn't blow your mind this morning. I don't know what will. We are equals to Christ. We are sons and daughters of a living God who gave us His Spirit to walk with us daily. I could have just said those three lines and walked off stage. That's how meaningful they are. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I, I thank you for who you are and, and what you've done. And Lord, as I studied this week, you had to break some, some thoughts and, and, and just some opinions that I had that I could never be equal to Christ. And I know that I'll never be perfect like he was perfect, but that didn't matter to him and that didn't matter to you. You sent your son to love us and to die for us and he did all of that willingly. He did all of that willingly to say that I will make these people who in no way deserve it my equal. 
I will make these people co-heirs. I will make these people sons and daughters of the living God. Do we choose to live in the Spirit or do we choose to be led, guided by our flesh, guided by our own sinful desires, guided by what makes us comfortable, guided by what makes us happy? Because we can be happy and joyful and be in sin. But God, let us say instead that I will find peace and I will find joy and I will find life in what it is that God has for me. And let us be a church that spreads that joy and spreads that life and tells others about the gift that they have received, that they can receive. We ask for all these things in your Son's name. Amen.